presbyters out there for having allowed this to take place over the last 100 years, even though we knew that even the very elect would be deceived but by the grace of God. And it is by the grace of God that I know what I know today and that he's shown me what I've shown to, uh, been shown today and that I share with you today because I got down on my knees and said, I can't figure it out. Once you realize you, can't, you aren't smart enough to figure it out, then he'll show you. But if you think you know it all already, then you will remain blind and you will not know the truth. So you need to wake up and consider the ant and get busy. You sluggards out there who have slept, you whiners who have begged for your rights back but have not begged for your responsibilities back, need to change your ways. Turn around and start taking on your responsibilities. Now, Christ had a plan to get the freedom back to the people and get the people free souls under God. He came to set men free in spirit and in truth. And you guys have all gone back in under the law. You have all returned to the vomit and to the mire. You've all been the voice of the people going to elect a new Saul who's going to make things right. And you have acted foolishly. And the Sauls you have chosen have acted so foolishly it's beyond imagination. And they have numbered your children. And they make them run before their chariots. And you think you got it figured out. Well, as long as you think you got it figured out, you ain't going to know the truth. You're going to have to be humble and admit, I screwed up. I didn't know. Now I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to find out what the truth is. So what is Christ's plan? Did you know that the apostles were not only ambassadors from a kingdom for a king, that's why they're called apostolos, apostles, ambassadors. That's what the word means. It means that then. It means that now. If you go meet the Greek ambassador, his name is uh, Apostle Thrombos, apostolos, ambassador. That's what it means. They were a government. They had a king. They, Caesar was not it. The Pharisees, the Caesar was it, but not the apostles. Now, they preached the kingdom to people who, who Caesar was their king. And those people could actually say, well, we want to change kingdoms. We want to be in this kingdom over here. We want to have Jesus as our king. They could do that. Because Jesus was proclaimed a king by the Roman authorities, the procurator of Rome, Pontius Pilate, said, this is the king, this is the king, this is the king. Everybody knew Peter and all these guys were the apostles of the king. They come out on Pentecost and they say, hey, there's our king. We are his apostles. We're working daily in the temple. You try to stop us. And that's what they did. They worked daily in the temple. And they tried to stop them. And who came to their defense? Rome. Why? Because Jesus Christ was king. This is his government. It doesn't operate like the other governments. They have taxes in the kingdom of God, but you tax yourself. And if you don't want to pay anything in, you don't have to pay anything in. You should, but you don't have to. We can't kick in your door. We don't exercise authority. It's up to you. Who do you pay? You send it all to me? No. You send it to the ministers that you choose. And, he, and you make sure that he uses it for the purposes of Christ. Taking care of the widows and orphans in your own society. <coughs> Is that what you're doing? Or are you just sending it to guys who are going to make a crystal cathedral and say, hey, we're really cool. God really loves us. We got speakers in our choir system. You don't take care of the widows and orphans of your society, except through the benefactors who exercise authority. Your churches are an apostate church. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, and they deny the responsibility thereof, and they are not free churches under God. They are free churches under the state. 
and the citizens of the states are not citizens of the state. They're citizens of the federal government and residency. And they don't live in a republic. They live in a socialistic democracy. And a lot of people love that. There's only going to be a few of you out there who even hear what I'm talking about. There's even going to be less of you who do anything about what I'm talking about. You can't instantaneously change this. You need to turn around and start seeking what Christ was talking about. Are you really taking care of one another? Some men form these congregations and they want to be the minister and they get the comes and listens to them every week and they they love that. They'll even tickle their ears a little bit. Keep their little group together. But they're not thinking kingdom. And and next thing you know, they run into somebody who doesn't treat them as their master teacher. And they want to run off in another direction. Because they don't really love their neighbor as much as they love themselves and of their position as minister. They're in love with their position as minister. They they actually want to be up on a pedestal. And, you know, you can tell the guys that want to be up on a pedestal because they're putting you up on a pedestal. Well, they may not put you, but they'll be putting somebody up there on a pedestal. The only one on the pedestal is Christ, and he wouldn't stay on the pedestal. He got down on his hands and knees to wash your feet. This is the spirit you need to look for in your ministers. Is a guy who comes to serve, not be served. There's too many pastors out there who, who want to be served by their flock rather than serve their flock. In the name of Christ. So what is that plan? Well, we talked this week, and you can go on the website, hisholychurch.org. You can go drop down menu under the net guy, and you'll see Dear Network. And we have some of our Dear Network messages up there on the website. And Dear Network Message 86 is one of them. That's one of the more recent ones. You can read a couple of them there when you go to that link. But it was on this concept of 501c3, real fundamental stuff that you would all be very aware of if you've read the book. And, and even though so many of the people who read the books don't quite understand what we're talking about. And, and one of the things that keeps you from understanding what we're talking about is the fact that you have anger still for the system. And you find out what this 501c3-1023 application is all about, and you, you begin to resent it. Don't resent it. Let God do the judging. You just seek the kingdom. A lot of men are saying, oh, you, is your church 501c3? Oh, well, that's bad. That's wicked. Your church is 501c3. That's a bad thing. All churches are 501c3. But how are they 501c3? Are they considered 501c3 or are they under 501c3? It isn't 501c3 is not the problem. 501c3 is a code uh designation telling you code title 26 section 501 section c section 3 and it's for all kinds of organizations all kinds of charitable organizations are listed under 501c3 churches are considered 501c3 automatically but they are not necessarily strictly regulated simply because they're considered 501c3. What is the critical problem with 501c3? It is the application or determination by an organization that is not an organization of believers in Christ. Christ sent his ministers out, and they were often contributed to, in order to so that they could support the widows and orphans and needy of their society and they did not want for anything because they were people contributed but they were good servants because he already said what a bad servant was a bad servant goes and say how much do you owe you owe this much okay pay it oh i can't pay that much okay beat him until he can pay it 
That's the way the IRS works. That's fine. They're answerable to God. They're not answerable to me. If you can't pay it, they'll beat the tar out of you. They'll fine you. You'll owe twice as much before you blink. And they'll beat and beat and beat you until you pay. They are not a forgiving organization. That is what they are. That's okay. They're answerable to God. But that's not what the church operates. That's not the way the church operates. You owe your tax to God, your tithes to God, and you should pay it. Now, who are you supposed to pay? I don't know. How much? When? I don't know. That's between you and God. And you're answerable to him. Our ministers can't kick your door in and say time to contribute. We don't, you know, we don't exercise authority one over the other. But if we're to be benefactors, we need your support. Again, I'm not saying send everything to me. Get into the network. Form those congregations, families of 10. Gather together, pick your minister. Start building that other house before the house that you have built on sand crumbles. It's a process. It's going to take a little bit of overtime. And you're going to need to put in that overtime. It's going to take a little bit of sacrifice. And you're going to need to make those sacrifices. And these are your choices. So 501, all churches are 501c3. So you don't say, oh, my church isn't 501c3. It's considered 501c3 if it's a church. If you say it's not considered 501c3, you're saying you're not a church. Who are you talking to? Now, we don't have or seek or apply for the status of 501c3. We seek to apply to Jesus Christ to be his church and to do what he said to do. And let the world make their own decisions and own determination. But we among us must, with two or more witnesses, make a determination. Is this man a minister? Is this congregation establish a church? Are we the only? No. But we should do it together in a chain of authentication. Two or more get together and say, this is our minister. Up to 10, 12, 13 even. This is our minister. And then he gets together and picks a minister. And through that chain of authentication, we become the church established by Christ if we continue to do the will of Christ and are doers of the word and are really take care of one another, not just filling out papers. We have to actually do it. We actually have to make the sacrifices. We have to actually pick up that burden and set aside our pride set aside our vanity, set aside our desire to be on this pedestal and be looked up to. What, what, if, you, if they're looking up to you, you're not down on the floor washing their feet. You know, Peter, Peter wanted to put Jesus up on a pedestal. He didn't want Jesus down there washing his feet. Jesus said, you know, if I don't do this, you don't get in. If you don't let me do this, you don't get in. And, and Peter had to be knocked off his own desire for being on a pedestal. And when he denied Christ, he repented. Boy, I'd love to have been in that room with, the, with those guys after the dealing with, you know, they all fled. They all turned their back on Christ and fled. You know, I see that today. Oh, they they got some reason in their head. Oh, I, I, yeah, whatever. But the fact is, you turn your back on your brother, you turn your back on Christ. If you got not with your brother, if you're still angry at him, you're not in the kingdom. You're not with Christ. Now, I'm not abandoning anybody. Yeah, I've, I've cut a few people off of the contact ministries because they told me they did not want to do what a contact minister is supposed to be doing. And I've got them up there listed 
as a contact minister doing what a contact minister says he's going to do. I can't do that. I have to keep my word. You say I'm not going to do that, okay, you're not on the list. When you decide you want to do that, you can get back on the list. It has nothing to do with your personal doctrines. It has to do with what you said you were going to do by volunteering to be that contact minister. And that's what we're hoping others will begin to see and do because we need to be a team. We need to be in one accord. If we can't be in accord as a contact minister, how could we be in accord as an order? So this whole thing of 501c3, let's read a couple of things out of the codes and out of the books. Some organizations are not required to file a Form 1023. A Form 1023 is your application to the IRS for a predetermination letter so that they will say, yes, you will qualify under 501c3. Churches don't have to file that. It says so in the form. It says so in the rules. They don't have to file that. Churches are automatically considered exempt, even if they do not file. They are mandatorily accepted from having to file under 508c1, special rules with respect to 501c3 organizations. C, exception. Exceptions, not exemptions, exceptions, mandatory exception. Subsection A and B shall not apply to churches, their integrated auxiliaries and conventions or associations of churches. 508C1A. But anyway, back to this. Some organizations are not required to file a 1023. These include churches, inner churches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are we talking about? Where are we getting that quote? We're getting it from the Department of Treasury IRS publication 557, tax exempt status for organizations, chapter three, page nine. Churches don't have to file. If they do, what happens? What are the advantages and disadvantages if they file? They, they write us and they tell us what those are. But let, let's look, read this also, uh, which is out of Department of Treasury inter, inter Revenue Service Instructions for Form 1023, Section 2. These are the instructions, right out of the instructions. Even if these organizations are not required to file Form 1023, referring to the churches and interchurches and auxiliaries, etc., to be tax-exempt, they may wish to file Form 1023 and receive a determination letter of the IRS recognition of their Section 501c3 status to obtain certain incidental benefits such as public recognition of their tax-exempt status. Well, they already have recognition if they're a church. Exemption from certain state taxes, advanced assurance to donors who need assurance from the IRS, a Christ assurance is not enough, deductibility and contributions, exceptions from central, uh, certain federal uh, excise taxes. Pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation and our heavenly Father, grace, mercy, justice for all. Since the beginning of time, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, it has been borrowed, it has been purchased, it has been stolen. There's a reason for it to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188 or visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, and regular guest, world-renowned economist Robert Chapman, right here on FirstAmendmentRadio.com at 4 p.m. Eastern or 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, 
1-800-375-4188. If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or... War of Federal Aggression. John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free, or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. Get this DVD presentation for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Call 559-781-3773. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Have you seen Loose Change? the most popular documentary in the 911 truth movement with the coming change in government now is the time to push for justice and get this truth into the hands of millions of americans first amendment radio is offering both videos loose change and 911 justice on dvd we will ship two copies of both videos to you for 10 bucks cash yes two copies one for you and one for you to give away you will see and hear Larry Silverstein admit that they decided to pull the building. Why are they not being pursued? The people must know. Justice must be had. The time is now. Two copies of both videos. Loose Chick 1-1 Justice for 10 bucks cash. No checks, please. To First Amendment Radio, 139 East to Larry Avenue, to Larry, California, 93274. about some concepts of the church. We're talking about concepts of government, self-government, righteous governments, and unrighteous governments. There was a righteous mammon, and there was an unrighteous mammon. The unrighteous mammon was entrusted wealth. Entrusting, uh, that's what mammon means. It actually means entrusted wealth, and that's what you do when you consent with others to have one purse, which Proverbs talks about is, you're, you do that for a purpose, and that purpose is to make a gain, to guarantee a social security, whatever you want to call it, uh, for the protection. And this is what the golden calf was. You took all your gold, you put it into the golden calf. If you deserted in, in the face of the enemy, you deserted all your wealth because there it was still sitting in the golden calf. You couldn't haul it off. You had to defend the golden calf. And why a golden calf? Because they didn't have a vault. You had to be able to see it, and you saw a horn missing, somebody robbed the bank. And so, therefore, it was easier to guard and protect. And all the city-states did this, but it was a way in which to bind the people together in a common purse where they had to stay and defend one another because of their love of that gold, that wealth. And they themselves used something else in, in, in uh, you know, I don't know if you have any idea of how much gold that would take to even make a small gold. You could put $100,000 of gold in the palm of your hand today. You could put it in your pocket. So if you, you made a golden calf, you're talking millions of dollars. This is Fortnite. But that's not what God wants binding you together. He wants what binds him, you, which is love. That's what you need to be bound with, is this love for one another. Moses said it, Christ said it, Abraham was doing it with his altars. That's what you need to bind yourself together. That's why you need these congregations. That's why you need to give up your offerings entirely to a minister. You don't give it to a minister, then run around and get on the board and tell them how to spend it. You, you're, you're in the board when you're in the congregation. That's the whole of the board, is the elders of every family. Those are the presbyters who decide what they individually want to give to that minister for the purposes of taking care of their needs in society. 
and they don't just think of their congregation because if they love one another as much as they love themselves, they love their neighboring congregations as much as they love themselves, and therefore they will gather together in a network of congregations and not simply in the congregation. And what causes divisions is man-made doctrines. You got to say it this way. You got to do it this way. You got to believe it this way. You got to hold this up high. You got to stand on one foot. You got to be up on the pedestal. You got to put me on a pedestal. Boulder Dash. You have to love one another. Very simple. Get back to the basics. You got to care about one another. And so when people start talking about things like state nationals, which is what we talked about on Blog Talk. That's interesting. It's fascinating. It's important to understand that. But we're not trying to create another government. God already created the government of God. We're trying to become a part of that government and govern ourselves. And it's absolutely legal to start to govern yourselves and take back your responsibilities, especially through this organization called the church. But not that church that delivered you into bondage. Not that church that delivered you half a gospel. Not that church that had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. Not that church that sends you to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other rather than to take care of the widows and orphans amongst you. Not that church, but the church established by Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? We're pointing out that a church doesn't have to file a 1023, and the only reason it's going to be doing it is to get those privileges and benefits, to get that that determination by the IRS. I've told people this for years. When you file that form, you're asking the IRS to be your overseer, your bishop. Now, can you tell me that the the, the men in the IRS meet the qualifications? of an overseer, of a bishop, an episcopos, as it says originally in the Greek? No. No, they don't. So why are you asking for their determination? You need the determination of Christ, through his apostolic, through his apostles, through his ordained ministers. Now, who are they? Am I one? Maybe. You have to discern that. You have to decide that. You have to go and pray and ask God. Who do you want a determination letter from? From the church? From the pope? From uh, who? You, you need witness. You cannot be self-proclaiming yourself to be the church all by your little lonesome. You have to gather together with others, and you need to bear witness one to another. That's why we created this chain of authentication. But you have to edify it through choice. Now, why? Why is this important? Peter talks about maintaining an entrance to that everlasting kingdom. Well, if we're talking about after you die, I have no control where you're going after you die. But he's talking about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, being on earth for the living. So that's the entrance he's talking about. And that's what the apostles were doing. They, they were recognized by Rome. Jesus Christ is king, Jesus Christ is king, Jesus Christ is king. What did they say? Hey, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. There were court cases. They owned land. That land was often confiscated illegally, and it came back to them by the proclamation of the emperors like way before Constantine, Hadrian, Trajan, saying, hey, leave the Christians alone. They were idiotists, non-participators. They were separate, often treated jealously, enviously, persecuted from time to time. But they had a vast system of social welfare that was based on faith, hope, and charity, not what you guys have today. Not what, these churches don't even have a concept of this. Oh, they got some token. Oh, yeah, we're going to give a little bit here and a little bit there. But they don't do that on a regular basis. They, they don't depend upon the church. They depend upon all these other institutions, which Herod offered, Caesar offered, and the governments of the world offered not what Christ said. That was the Corbin that made the word of God to none effect. So we asked about advantages and disadvantages. 
In the detailed analysis, Tax Management Incorporated, a subsidiary of the Bureau of National Affairs uh, Incorporated, uh, 464-2nd-A-1, it clearly states, advantages and disadvantages of exemption under Section 501C. Now, churches are automatically considered them. But what is this exemption under 501C3? They're talking about those that apply. It is clear that any organization granted or permitted exemption through the application under Section 501C3 is only generally spared. That's what it says. The main advantage of classification, they can't classify you till you apply. Under 501c3 is that the organization is generally spared federal taxation of its income. Now that's the advantage, being generally spared. So we have to ask, what is the disadvantages? The disadvantage option under 501c3 stem from the strict operational restriction. So over here, no operational, strict operational restrictions over here that are what that taking place is that you have applied. And if you look at the laws and the rules and how they are set up, once you apply, they can just pretty much do what they want. They're very li limited in their authority. If you don't apply, they still have some authority in the world. I mean, they, they govern in this area of the world. And there are other agencies in Australia and New Zealand and, and England and Europe and many other countries. They have authority. They exist just the same as you have authority and you exist. But it's limited. You haven't granted them additional authority through application for benefits. Once you apply for benefits, you've given them authority that they would not have had otherwise. An exercise of authority is often established through application, and while the church does not have to apply to the state, many do granted uh, a power of strict uh, granting a uh, power of strict operational restriction. We need to understand that this application process is a dangerous thing. And the church is not the only one who does applying for benefits. If you eat at their table, you incur all the responsibilities and obligations of someone who eats at their table. Be not desirous of their dainties. Seek rather the kingdom of heaven. Now it takes a special kind of person to live in a republic. A pure republic, it takes a very special kind of person to live in the republic established by Jesus Christ through the church. It takes a very, very special kind of person. He has to love his neighbor as himself. To be a minister, he has to love his neighbor more than himself. He has to be very self-sacrificing in nature because that was the nature of Christ. He needs the nature of Christ in order to put on the full armor of God. Now, another subject, I don't know if I should go farther on this. You can read that. It's under uh, Dear Network, and I just came across a typo, and, and that's why I stopped and made a little mark on this, uh, these notes here so that I can maybe go back. But uh, if the United States considers the Queen of England to be the Queen of England, does that make her subject to the United States? No, it doesn't. And if the IRS or the United States considers the church to be automatically exempt and mandatorily accepted from having to file, does that mean that the church has gone under the authority of the United States? No. But if the church applies for benefits, yes, it may be strictly operationally controlled. The fact that they consider that a church is automatically 501c3 or to be considered automatically as if it was 501c3 
that's perfectly okay. That's their decision. Those are their codes. Those are their rules. That's acceptable. For you to say that a church is not 501c3 is a misnomer. You're misapplying the term. The church is the church established by Jesus Christ. Whether the IRS considers it 501c3 or not, that's up to the IRS. It's none of my business. It's none of my concern. My concern is what Christ wants. And that's the way we need to approach this. And not, you know, be saying things that are just simply incorrect. Not understanding the vocabulary that we're using. God gave us freedom, and Christ gave us our exemption. By his grace, the church established by Jesus Christ pre-existed the code. It's been around for 2,000 years. You can't. You can conform to Christ and be a part of his church. And that's what we're seeking to do. That's why we call it his church or his holy church, is because we're trying to conform to his church. We don't think. We can start a new church. We don't want to start a new church. The church we belong to as ministers and the church that people adhere to as members of the congregation was established by Jesus Christ, not before 1770, uh, not before, excuse me, uh, 1976, or not after 1976, but before all that back in the year 33 AD. One church established by Christ, and we seek to congregate together and conform to that church. Christ is sufficient. That's what we need. Okay, so why do we have ministers? Well, you either have ministers from the governments of the world, or you have ministers from the governments of God. The ministers from God are titular. They don't exercise authority except over that which you give them freely. And then they freely exercise authority over that completely. And that's the way we create this, that each minister, whatever he is given, he is given it entirely, and he must exercise authority. Unless he dies, the overseer of that trust that has been placed in his hands is his to do with as he sees fit. Whoever is the trustee of those funds may do it as with it as he sees fit. It's about empowering the individual to make an individual choice. It is not about empowering a board of directors or what have you to make a choice in some sort of democratic fashion. That all the democracy you need is decided in the fact that I gave you this to do with it according to the will of Christ as you see it in your heart, period. And that individual may exercise authority over those funds from that point on. And someone else may be able to replace him based upon the criteria of his choices and the responsibility that has been given him. And so we have this chain. So there is a hierarchy. I shouldn't say higher. I should be using the word higher as H-I-G-H-E-R in the church. And actually, you could even use the other one. But he doesn't exercise authority in this hierarchy, one over the other. He, not over the individual, but he does over what comes within his purview. An overseer of a church, and suddenly everybody in that church is out on a bus field trip and the bus went over the edge of the cliff and they were all killed, every one of them. They were all in one bus and they were all killed. Or they're in an airplane, they all crash and they're all dead. Now there's property that belonged to the church who gets it? There are churches sitting out there now that are completely abandoned. The property is there. The buildings are gone. And nobody's doing anything with it because it's not a part of a bigger church. And it just sits there forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, you could go and claim it and be the church that was there before. But uh, the point is, is that once that's dedicated, it's dedicated. it doesn't have to have any annual filing. It's one of the only organizations that doesn't have to have annual filing in order to remain off the tax rolls. It's just, it's there, it's gone, and it doesn't, it's not answerable. So how does that work? Well, if you have an overseer, he can come in and seek a new minister for that piece of property. 
and appoint a new minister based on the election of the people. This is what Christ was doing when he changed. He couldn't appoint new ones. They actually had a role to play in the temple. They were the porters of the temple, and the king could fire the porters of the temple. Gatekeepers. Back in the Old Testament, we see how David could do that, and Jesus did that. But he couldn't appoint new ones uh, out of his own cognizance. You had to elect them. The people had to come together. When was election in Israel? If you understand the law, it would be at Pentecost, one of the major feasts where everybody gets together and they would elect new ministers and say, this is the guy I want, this is the guy he wants, and this is the guy he wants, all the way up to the fact that you get to the porters of the temple, the gatekeepers. And then the king could say, okay, good election. No election fraud. I like this. Okay, go for it. Or he could fire him again. And, oh, you picked the wrong guys. I'm firing him. That's what you got when you got a king. He could do that. But Christ said, you elect him. And the only one I ever saw fired after that was Ananias. Got fired the hard way. Fired by the Holy Spirit. But they had a chain of command. But not over the souls of the individual, but over what he contributed. And it was tax-exempt, according to Augustus. And it could travel from border to border, free of molestation of taxes and imports and, and fees. It belonged to the church. And the church was a sacred organization. Someone asked me, and I have to do that after the show sometime, to send them a copy of the Sacred Purpose Trust. It's in the, first, uh, it's in the Free Church Report. But you need the overseership of somebody who will look over that and that overseer needs to come together in a congregation with other overseers and form what we call a religious order in, in the terms of today the apostles were a religious order and they had a way that when you threw James off the temple wall there was somebody to take his place they thought well we'll get rid of the leader and we'll control all of what they got they got rid of the leader and somebody else stepped up to the plate. This was a government. But how do you get higher up in authority in the church? Do you get appointed by somebody from up above? Or do you have, you know, ten families recognize you as minister? That minister gets together with nine other ministers, recognize them as minister. And they go up higher and higher and higher and higher until they get to the top. There's a high priest of the church who is a representative of Christ. He's representing Christ. He's not a substitute for Christ. Because you have to have Christ in your heart all the way down to the bottom. And that's one of the problems. There are churches out there that have a, a sign on their hat that says that they are representative of Christ, but when you actually translate the words, it means substitute for Christ. Except no substitute. There is no substitute for Christ. But there was clearly, he was saying, so that the highest amongst you is as the least, as the younger, as the servant. And that's how you pick your leaders. The best servant of servant of servants of servants. Not rulers of rulers of rulers of rulers. That's the reverse. There's still a pattern there. But one is electing rulers, like Saul, and the other one is electing servants, like Christ, or Christ-like servants, who are not going to exercise authority but come to serve. Well, how would anybody want to elect a ruler? Why would anybody want to elect a ruler to rule over them? But they do it every day. They did it in the time of Saul because they secretly want to rule over others. It's the pedestal thing, too. They put you up on a pedestal because they secretly envy that position of being up on a pedestal. When they find out you won't put them up on a pedestal, too, then they want to kick you off the pedestal. If they secretly want to rule over others, they will elect you as ruler. And most of the people in the world today want to rule over their brothers. And so what do they elect? As rulers. 
church, you should be wanting to serve one another. Therefore, you will elect servants. And the highest amongst you shall be servant to all. And the one you elect to be the Episcopos of the minister, you don't elect them, the minister elects them, but you recognize them to the recognition and acceptance form that we have for creating a church. You recognize them as the overseer through a series of documents. And what's his role? To serve you. And that bearing witness creates boundary marks between the church and the world. You're pounding stakes in the corners of the church saying, this is the church, this is the church, this is the church. And through that triangulation or uh, quadra uh, or tetrahedron or whatever, however stakes you pound in the ground, you establish that this is the church established by Christ. You didn't establish the church. Christ established the church. But you establish that you see this as part of the church. And this is my minister, and this is his overseer, this Episcopos, this servant of servants. And when he gathers with other Episcopos, he picks the servant of servants of servants. But most of your charity is down home close by, except what you give your minister that he is able to share with local congregations to help support those congregations in time of need. And you become You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.